This is Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brassel. It's back! Welcome in to Season 2 of Beyond the Uniform. I'm TJ Brassel, and I'm lucky enough to to be helped kick off the season with former decathlon world record holder, two-time Olympic gold medalist, and track and field legend, Ashton Eaton. Ashton, thank you for joining the show. Hey, TJ. What's going on, man? And uh, yeah, we share we share the duck love. So go ducks. Yeah, we do go ducks. Absolutely. And now I could honestly spend probably half this podcast talking about all of your accolades and all your titles and everything. But a new title that you have as of recently is a new father. So congratulations on that first and foremost. How's everything going in the Eaton household? Uh, yes, yeah, so our son Ander is um, two and a half months old, and I would say. You know, being an athlete, you have a very structured and rigid, uh, rigid um, lifestyle. Eat, sleep, train. It's it's very real. Um, you have kind of like this plan of the competitions and the things that you're going to be doing and traveling and this and that. And um, so I was very used to that because I did that essentially until I was 30. And um, now with our son, it's like totally. And by the way, the sleep portion of that is like insanely important. And I realize that now because with our son, we basically get none of it. <laughs> so um it's it's insane how much uh, your schedule is just really dependent on them and um, how much you're just kind of adapting your day around to their their needs. And uh, I would say, for one, it's challenging, and two, it's awesome. So um, we're doing well. I think the quarantine has helped us um, be close and, and kind of spend more time helping raise them. Absolutely. And, uh, and so... You and I had actually talked a few months ago. The goal was to to have you do an interview in the first season, and we were set to do it. We were, I think, a day or two out from doing the interview, and I get a text, and you're like, hey, TJ, uh, Bree just had the baby a couple of days ago. You, yeah. think we can, you think we can push the interview? And I was like, you know, I feel like that's a pretty good pretty good reason, so I'm glad we were able to, yeah. uh, to, to get you back. But So what's been the biggest surprise of fatherhood so far? So two and a half months in, I think the biggest surprise um, – has been how I would say it's been like how quickly they grow Mm -hmm. so it's honestly the two and a half months seems like it's been about six (laughs) just from like you know an effort in like a investment standpoint Um, but in that short amount of time he's gone from you know kind of keeping his eyes closed a lot during the day and like just sleeping a ton to being insanely alert um kind of reaching out and touching stuff and really just understanding like the world. Um, so yeah, it's, I think that from a dad's perspective, just like watching this little guy develop um, and start creating a personality has been really interesting. That's really cool. And you definitely, uh, with, with the quarantine going on, definitely haven't been able or haven't had to miss a minute of it. That's for sure. No, no, that's true. Yeah. I've seen, I've been here for it all. <laughs> um, so I was, I was actually talking with some colleagues of mine not too long ago. One of, uh, one of the guys, his wife is, is pregnant and having a baby pretty soon. And he was talking about naming baby or like trying to figure out the names of babies and stuff yeah. like that. And everyone was going through the stories of how they got their name, what their name meant, stuff like that. So what was the, what was the inspiration behind Ander? So I, um, <laughs> Brandon, I had a big list of names and I think really our criteria was like, let's do something unique. Let's do something kind of like short um, and something that like can't be confused when you say it or you kind of like hear it and try to spell it. And uh, I was, we were in a birth coaching class um, before, like as Brian was pregnant and I was really just kind of daydreaming 
and I love space and kind of uh, stuff like that. And so I was trying to think of if there's any planet or moon or something I could name them after. Um, and we, at that time, we actually had a girl's name. We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. We had a girl's name, but we didn't have a boy's name. And so I'm trying to think, think, think. And then I remembered planet is actually um, comes from the Greek word uh, meaning wander. And I was like, wander, wander. And uh, then I just took the W off of wander. I was like, Ander. Hmm, Ander sounds like a pretty cool name. And I had given Brianne a bunch of um, names that I thought were cool before, and she kind of turned them all down. And this was the first one where she said, I really like that. I really like Ander. So That's we, awesome. Yeah, we stuck with Ander. So were you, you said you were in the middle of the class. Were you just kind of like zoning out? Yeah. You just like, Ander. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, was, I was zoning out, and I was like, planet, moon, and the, of the ones that I knew, I couldn't think of anything that would like make sense for a name. And then I remembered, yeah, oh, planet is planin, which is Greek for wander, ander, yeah. That's awesome. Although you, you said you don't want people to, to confuse it or get it spelled wrong. If there's one thing I've learned with names is somewhere, somehow, oh, someone yeah. will figure out a way to spell it incorrectly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what we realized was um, there's, in Europe, uh, in specific areas, anders with an S is actually mm -hmm. quite, a, quite a, a popular name. And uh, there is a, a whole culture, actually. Um, I think near Spain, the the Basque culture, B A S Q U E, and Ander is like John, basically. Really? <laughs> so yeah, it's not like super unique, um, but anyway. That's all right. It, it it works here in the states. It's definitely unique here yeah. in the states. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and another cool thing was not only was it Ander's birthday, but it was your birthday as well. Yeah. So how special was that day to be have to have your your first child born on your birthday? It was wild, man. Like. So his due date was February 5th, oh, and wow. I remember my mom telling me that my due date was February 5th. So he was born on January 21st, um, and I just remember January 20th, Brianne saying, like, so, so it was like two, two, two weeks and a, a couple days early. Uh, so we were kind of totally unprepared <laughs> from, like, a logistical and, like, updating people, like, yourself included standpoint. But um, I remember January 20th, Brianne was like, hey, I think I'm starting to feel something. And I was like, are you serious? Uh, one, this is like two weeks early and I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> and two, um, could, this, could this baby be born on my birthday? Like, that would be insane. And so when it finally happened, I was just like, this is wild. I mean, what are the chances that we both had the same due date, but then we also both had the same birthday? That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. Now, a fun fact for you is I share my birthday with my mom as yes. well. Awesome. So um, she, I was born on her 39th birthday. And so she claims that since I was born on her 39th birthday, she gave up her birthday for me. So she every year when we celebrate our birthdays, it's just the anniversary of her 39th, her 39th birthday. birthday. Exactly. So, so if you didn't know how it works, you don't ever have to age anymore. You stay the same for forever. That is perfect. I'll be 31 for the rest of my life. It's like Peter Pan. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You never have to grow up. Um, and so another thing I was I was thinking of is when you talk about like athletes who are kind of like some of the greats in their sports, you talk about Jerry Rice or Michael Jordan stuff and people and they when they start to have families, people always start to yeah. talk about like expectations that might be put on their kids. Have you what kind of conversations have you and Brianne had about that? We've had these conversations actually for quite a number of years, and that's because we always knew we wanted to have kids. And our philosophy um, is to essentially shield them 
uh, as much as possible from like the expectation of being some kind of great athlete and really opening the door for kind of exploration for uh, for them. So if they want to try, you know, instruments uh, or art or uh, science or something along these lines, like I think we are, it's important for us to expose them to that um, and really let them kind of guide their own own path and uh you know we'll be supportive of that so i do think that sports are important when kids are young just from the standpoint of social interaction um of activity like learning to push your body and like learning what being uh fit and uh, healthy feels like Mm -hmm. um and then also there are some mentality things that i think are really good about sports as well but um overall if they don't want to do it they don't have to Absolutely. Now, so you and Brianna have been retired for a few years now from track and field, but when you were deciding to retire, how difficult was that decision? It actually wasn't that difficult. And I think the the reason there's like, I think there are probably like three or four reasons. Um, One was we had accomplished basically all of our goals. Uh, Brianna really just wanted to get an Olympic medal. Um, I wanted to try to win again and, you know, throughout my career, I think I just accomplished my goals. And the second reason was because we were starting to get injured more often mm-hmm. without really any explanation. Um, so there's one thing of like you're getting your body in the wrong position and getting injured. Um, but there's another thing when you think you're doing everything right and all of a sudden something just happens. And so that was starting to happen more, which was a signal that we're just getting old. Um, and then I think the third and final reason was for me personally, which was I wanted to move. There's just other things I wanted to do in the world. Um, you know, life is short and I, th- and I saw kind of like the problems with um, like sustainability and other exciting things that I'm interested in, like space exploration and just like science and technology in general and how you can have an impact. And I kind of just wanted to get started doing some of that stuff. And so you say you wanted to get started doing that, some of that stuff. And so you and Brian ended up moving to San Francisco. Yeah. So what have you guys been doing uh, to, to, to fill your time now that you stepped away from track? Well, it's very much been an exploration process. So the first year I really just traveled around and was like cold emailing and cold calling um, companies and people who I thought were doing interesting things um, in everywhere from education. Uh, I did go and visit SpaceX. Um, I have a, a friend there and it was like really awesome um, uh, there was other things around like software that I thought were interesting. Um, in the end, I ended up joining a software company because I thought, uh, software startup, because I thought one, I wanted to learn about technology and I thought software was important, um, in that aspect. And two startups are a good place to learn about business and just like the speed of creating is much faster. Um, so I thought there's just a lot of good learning there. What I eventually learned from that experience was like, I actually want to have the technical knowledge and work on building the technologies, not kind of be on the business side. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's kind of just like in the short term. So I left and I'm currently back in school studying um, for an engineering degree. Uh, and I also now work at Intel part-time and I'm in what's called the Intel uh, Olympic Technology Group. And so this group just creates technologies around human performance and also kind of fan engagement. Um, and what we're working on in our kind of small team within that is a technology that can use cameras to track athlete motion and derive um, biomechanical analysis from the skeleton without the athlete having to wear sensors. Wow. So I'm trying to put a little bit of my school to use while also learning about technology and kind of trying to contribute to something that I, I know. 
that's really awesome. I would I would say joining the uh, the Olympic technology uh, part would would be pretty fitting. That's yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah, it was a really great opportunity that somebody uh, from Intel afforded me, and I was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll I'll join while I'm in school and kind of trying to learn these things. That's awesome. Now, were these things that you were interested in in college and stuff, and throughout your <laughs> career, like in in your downtime, were were these the kind of things that you that you kind of studied at all? You know what? It's a super good question um, because it causes me to reflect. When I was in college, uh, I got a degree in psychology, and it was mostly because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was only thinking about sport at the time, frankly, and just kind of pursuing the athletic thing. Mm -hmm. um, I never thought about what I would do after college. <laughs> and these were, I was always interested in science fiction. I loved science fiction movies, and I loved reading science fiction books. And to me, it was about the excitement and idea of like what should we be driving toward like what is all this infrastructure and in life and kind of development that we're doing like what is it about and science fiction to me was always like an inspiring future um and i loved technology and, and science from that standpoint but i would say it wasn't until my track and field career um where i started having more time and getting older thinking about what am i going to do after this and uh I think it was in 2014 when I actually took a break. There was no Olympics, there was no world championships, and I just was running 400 meter hurdles, so I wasn't even doing decathlon. And uh, I started reading a ton of books. And it was just stuff about, um, yeah, the future, about people who had had an impact. And to me, the conclusion was like, if you really want to advance stuff, like science and engineering is, is a field to get into. And so that's when I really started taking it seriously and wanted to get into that stuff. That's really cool. So, all right. So now with, with what you're learning and everything that you've known so far, what are the, what are the goals for the future? Like what's the grand plan of where you, where you, where you want to end up? For sure. Um, long-term, I would love to contribute to kind of our space exploration endeavors. Um, I think it'd be super fun to just go to space. Uh, I do think that having a moon base and is kind of a phase one to kind of expanding to another planet. Um, and the reason I think that is from actually our sport kind of careers, which taught me that training is absolutely vital to success toward kind of the overall goal or mission. And to me, the moon is a training ground that is an absolute necessity for teaching us how to survive um, and operate in space. So I don't think we can just go straight to Mars without like learning a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to help with that stuff. I think sustainable energy um, and resources like basically food, water production and uh, electric kind of production and consumption is super vital for the world. Um, that would be awesome to get into. And then education, I think is is insanely important. And there's actually an article I, I remember reading, somebody interviewed me the night after I won my gold medal actually in Rio. And they said, well, what are you gonna do now? <laughs> I said, I think I'd like to start my own university. And that's actually a true statement um, because I believe that, you know, people have a lot of potential and the, you know, our, our whole kind of civilization is guided by um, our thoughts and actions. And to me, it's, it's, it seems like if we can, um, you know, improve or kind of advance our thoughts and actions, then we can improve our progress toward achieving some of the goals that we want. So uh, I think to, to really sum it up long term, I'd love to start a school um, specifically wow. targeted at people around, I think, like the late elementary, early middle school age. Okay. I think that's kind of like a formative time for kids to start learning about what they're capable of. Um, and then in some way, shape, or form, be involved in either space exploration or sustainable energy. That's awesome. 
That's really cool. So so what I've heard is Ashton Eaton will next will be the next man on the moon as well as the Ashton Eaton University comes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, how do these things manifest? Um, I'm not quite sure, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think step one is honestly learning the fundamentals of science and engineering. And so that's why I'm in school because you can go down the path of like being the creative mind and just, um, but I think it's really important to understand the fundamentals. Absolutely. And now you and Bree have still been pretty involved in the track and field world. You, in 2019, you guys were, or for the 2019 world championships, you guys were ambassadors for the world championships. So what does that involve being an ambassador for world championships? So in 2019, uh, we did get asked to be ambassadors, which is fantastic. Um, since we've retired, though, Brian and I, I think probably around 2018, honestly, we started trying to figure out how can we get more involved in the sport? Because frankly, we just left it. And we kind of needed that space to to find our new thing and almost like a new identity. Um, and in 2019, we did the ambassadorial thing. And what that basically meant was um, we helped promote the sport both locally at those competitions um, and around that competition kind of also broadly uh, promote the sport. But since then, um, we've both gotten involved in what's called the athlete, um, Athletics Association, which was started by Christian Taylor, two-time gold medalist in triple jump. Oh, yeah. And what that is, is um, a collection of all track and field athletes. Uh, the association is supposed to represent their voice. So we actually just had a call this morning um, about you know more steps and plans about how we can do this effectively, because uh, it's, it's still a pretty young organization. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, um, we're both part of a group of heptathletes and decathletes worldwide that uh, we just have conversations and really just communicate with each other about um, the future of the sport and our event specifically. That's really cool. Yep. That's really cool. Now, when when I was at Oregon, I happened to, I would train around the same time that you would train and yeah. you you would give me coaching tips every once in a while. One that actually stuck with me. Would I really? Unsolicited ones? Yes, oh, absolutely. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, one actually stuck with me through through all five years I was at Oregon, and that was um, I I used to just use one wrist wrap when I when I threw the shot put, and you gave me this idea that you, I believe, got from Reese Hoffa, and it was, you had told me about putting a second wrist wrap that went like halfway up your arm to kind of help with the release of it and everything like that. Yeah. And, and that, that stayed throughout, throughout Did my entire help? career. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And, yeah. it, and it helped without me to make sure I didn't like break my wrist for half yeah. of my throws. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought of, is, is coaching something that you would thought of down the line? It is something that crossed our minds because again, when you're an athlete and you're trying to think about the future out after sport, the first things that come to your mind are like what you know. And with track and fields, there's not really a lot of options. You could be um, a broadcaster, like a sport analyst. Uh, you could be, or you could be a coach, or you could be like an agent. Um, and so, for us, none of those things actually really sounded appealing. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the reasons was because our coach was what we thought one of the best ever, um, and we saw what it required to be one of the best ever, and it was insane. Like. He definitely saw us more than he saw his own kids mm-hmm. and uh, lots of travel, um, you know, every day at the track, uh, just kind of hours and then anal- analysis after after the fact. And so um, we knew that just we didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes total sense. And so with with COVID-19 and everything that has that has gone on and the Olympics were pushed to 2021, do you still have 
plans at all? Uh, and also with with the new guy hanging around. Yeah. Do you still have plans at all of potentially going to the Olympics, or will this be something where it'll be the first one you for for a while that you'll just kind of watch from the couch? You know, we were slated to go to the 2020, um, and so we definitely are going to go to 2021. Um, and that would be in the capacity, probably multiple capacities. One would just be as kind of fans to watch, but also I think with some of the work uh, that I'm doing through Intel, mm -hmm. um, we're specifically trying to target some of the technology we're building, you know, driving towards the Olympic Games. So that's yeah, awesome. We'll that's be there. Really cool. Okay, so now flashback a little bit for uh, real quick. So in 2015, mm. your your high school, Mountain View High School in uh, Oregon. Yeah. Uh, Put your your signature on the I believe it was the home stretch of of the track. Yeah. And so so in track and field, like you can't really get a number retired because we don't really have numbers. So I feel like that's the closest thing to that. What was what was that like to have your to have your signature put on on the track? That was uh, really because I remember going to kind of like the the dedication of it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just it's. It's kind of weird, that stuff. I think it's a big honor. Um, and I think the importance is, you know, kind of inspiring the next generation, which I'm definitely all for. But, uh, yeah, the people, the folks that put it together um, were folks that uh, were my coaches and, and grew up around me and, like, helping me kind of get to where I was able to go. And so, yeah, just, you know, really thankful to them and uh, appreciative of, of the recognition, but ultimately hope that it inspires other kids, which I think is their goal too. Um, and the idea is that, you know, you can come from this town and make a difference. And you, you don't have to be, you don't have to have like the best facilities. You don't have to, you know, live in a big city. Um, you can do amazing things for, from here. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's kind of the message we were trying to send. Absolutely. Now, at the top of the show, I mentioned that all, all the or some of the many accomplishments that you have. But when you look back on your career, what accomplishment to are you most proud of? Um, yeah, I think the accomplishment I'm most proud of is, I think in in every um, I think really in every kind of like thing that I'm mentioned in, whether it's like a news media thing, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, I think I was always able to represent kind of myself and the sport and my team uh, in a positive way, in like a good way. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's like from Oregon or my, my uh, sponsors or my agents. Um, I think that was really, really important to me. Like, there's a lot of, there's there's times when people are successful or they do things and um, they're just not great folks, <laughs> you know? And it's like, okay, you accomplished something sweet, but like, you're also a jerk, so <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares. Um, but I think it's like super important, like, be a good person, you know? And mm -hmm. um, I think that's what I'm most proud of is just having done that. Yeah, well, you you definitely accomplished that uh, ten times over. That, yeah, is, that is for sure. That is for sure. Um, and so I also I'd mentioned the the world record. So back in 
2018, Kevin Mayer of France broke the, broke the decathlon world record. So when you found out about that, like what what emotions come over you when you find out that your world record goes down? <laughs> um, they're actually really good emotions. Um, I think the only thing that was surprising to me was like how early it happened. Like I always knew somebody was going to break it. Um, but I thought it would actually be a, f- a bit longer than that. Um, and I knew Kevin was the, was the closest one, but I remember talking to the person, um, whose world record I broke uh-huh. and he was like, you know, at first I was, I was really sad, but then I was like really excited because to me, um, it's almost like, uh, steps or, um, like a journey or rungs on a ladder. And as we climb, this ladder of um, human performance, you know, we have to keep pushing the limit and putting a rung in the ladder. And he's like, I felt like my world record was that rung, that first one, and then you went above it and somebody's going to above you. So really you're contributing kind of to the progress of the sport. And so when he told me that, and I think that was actually way back in 2014 or something like that, um, I was like, yeah, that's that's the right way to look at it. And so when Kevin broke my world record, I actually called him and I was like, I'm super happy you did this. And he broke it by a ton, which is awesome. I was like, you know, your mission is to kind of keep doing this, like to keep pushing the limits. So like the next person, they have to go even further, you know, beyond that. And so, um, yeah, I was excited. It was cool. What, what was his response when you said that? Uh, well, he was actually, he was like, I just want to thank you so much and da da da. And uh, I was like, that's cool. But, you know, this is, this is your time. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, he's like, I want you to come back and compete so we can push each other further. Uh, which really is a testament to kind of his mindset and his approach to things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Kevin, this is your time, man. Like, I am done. Um, <laughs> this this is for, for you to kind of set the course for us. And so uh, he was like, yeah, you're right. And I think he was excited. That's really cool. That's really cool. Now, so I was thinking about the, the decathlon world record and in all of pretty much all of the other events, except for maybe distance where you have some time to think about it. Like you break a world record on one throw, one jump, one one race. But in the decathlon, it's a two-day event. So you're having to think, if you're on world record pace, like you, you're thinking about that or potentially like the entire time. What kind of mindset do you have to have to not like psych yourself out? You, you really have to have the mindset of um, it's never going to happen. <laughs> your, your expectation has to be um, anything is, could go wrong at any moment and it's super unlikely. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the way you perform um, is opposite of that. You know, you're, you're trying to really do the best that you can on every attempt. Mm-hmm. But you really have to have that expectation that it's super unlikely. Therefore, I'm not going to get too worked up if I'm on or off pace. Okay. Uh, at least that's my approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's helped me because if something did go wrong, I didn't necessarily freak out. I was just like, well, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this kind of mindset to me was beneficial from the standpoint of being able to um, bounce back from failures more quickly. So rather than dwelling on something where it's like, ah, I was on world record pace and I just got off of it and now I have to do so much better in the next event in order to get on it. And, you know, it's just like, forget it. That's so. really cool. That's, that's, that's really intriguing. So, I mean, so when you're, so like baseball analogy here real quick. So like when a pitcher is, is having yeah. a no, a no hitter, a perfect game, like no one's talked to them. No one's saying anything. Is, is that similar? Like was, is anyone like filling you in on what's going on or, or are they just kind of leaving you alone? 
Yeah, you do know the scores pretty much. Um, there's so much time in between the events. There's like 30 or 45 minutes um, that you're always able to kind of do some analysis on where you are and to kind of do some projections. And so my coach and my manager would, would let me know. Um, it's really not, it really doesn't matter though until you get to the pole vault, which is the third and last event. And that's because so much could go wrong in the pole vault. Um, <laughs> but the two subsequent events like Javelin and 1500 are always pretty, um, like they're hard to screw up. So once the pole vault is concluded, from that point on, you can really start making some projections. And okay. so before that, nothing matters. But I remember during the pole vault, you know, my coach or, or my manager mostly was saying, like, if you jump X, um, this thing will happen. You know, you'll be on such and such pace. And I was always like, yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's see what I jump first. So. I'm, I'm sure that drove your manager a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, he was always like, you need to do this, this. And, uh, you know, he's he's been around decathlon a ton. And I think he was just excited for for me mm-hmm. um, and, and knew what I could accomplish. Um, and, yeah, but from my perspective, it was always like, let's let's try to win first. And then if the world record came after, then we could try for that. So what got you into the decathlon originally? Um, in high school, I was a track and field and football athlete, mm-hmm. and I uh, really had no plan. I was just doing track and being a high school kid. Um, but I did know that, or it was important to my family that I went to college. And so in my mind, we, I was thinking like a division two or three college. Um, I wasn't super great at track, and uh, that seemed to be my prospects. And so I remember my junior year, I think... I went to like the state championship meet, um, which was cool. And then my senior year, I got a little bit better. And uh, I remember my coach was like, Ashton, here's this magazine called Track and Field News. And in the back is like a list of high school top 10s. And look at this long jump one here. If you could jump 24 feet, you might be in the top 10 and get into Track and Field News. And that'd be really cool. And I was like, really? And so I, I remember jumping 24 feet that year. And it was a huge deal to me and to you know he brought the track and field news where i was like actually in the top 10 uh, which was pretty cool um but you know after that they came to me my coaches came to me and were like ashton we know that college is important to you and we think that you could get a division one scholarship um doing track and field but it would be in an event called the decathlon and i was like d1 scholarship that's awesome I have no idea what the decathlon is, though. <laughs> so uh, this is my senior year, um, and you know they they told me what it was, and I was like, "Huh, this event sounds really cool, actually." And so um, they said, "Would you be willing to try it?" And I said, "Yes." Um, so I never did a decathlon in high school, but I, I tried all the different events when I was a senior, just at practice. I was kind of messing around, mm-hmm. and from that point on, my my high school coaches went around to all the Division One colleges in, in the region. So like. I, you know, I was from Oregon, so then went to University of Oregon, um, I think USC, UCLA, Cal, uh, Boise State, Washington, Washington State. And they just said, hey, we have this athlete that's like a 24-foot long jumper. He's a sprinter, um, but we think he's like a really good all-around athlete, and you should look at him for decathlon. Most of the coaches said, what does he pull ball? What does he hurdle? What is he javelin? And, uh, you know, I had no marks for that stuff. My coach was just kind of like, you have to go in faith. You should really come down and watch him practice. And uh, most of them didn't, except the U of O coach. And so um, Dan Steele ended up coming to watch me practice, who was the uh, Maltese coach at the time. And he liked what he saw. And so he gave, they gave me a scholarship to University of Oregon. Wow. And uh, it was really on 
he watched me do one long jump competition and that was enough i think wow so i started training uh, for my freshman year onwards in decathlon and i think for university of oregon in the back of their mind they thought if it doesn't pan out for this kid in all these other events he can at least do long jump mm-hmm. and probably score or get better um, but yeah in, in practice i just started improving that's really cool it's it's definitely uh, definitely worked out for everyone there that's for sure <laughs> yeah. but what's, what's amazing about that story is the awareness and kind of um just it would never would have happened if somebody wasn't watching me and like seeing the potential yeah and uh i think that really is one of the reasons why this university idea is so important to me is because i think a lot of young people have potential in a lot of different facets of life but one aspect where we miss it is because there's no exposure so they either don't get exposed to the thing that they're interested or have aptitude in whether it's like art or wood shop or whatever um and the other thing is opportunity. So if they do find that thing, like where's the opportunity or like kind of the, the person or the people to, to help them develop uh, that skill set. That's really cool. Now, so when you, when you talk about the university then, um, like is it something where you, like do you want to have a kind of a focus on it, on it like a sci- scientific type focus, or is it just kind of going to be broad reaching so that, like you said, everyone can kind of see what their capabilities are? Um, the broad vision in kind of like structure right now to me would be, I think what, what matters for young people is, um, exploration, discovery, and then development. So they need to first people that need to explore many different things. Um, so they know what's available, they can find their interest. Um, and then also their aptitude. And from that is like the discovery method. Once you discover that thing, then you need to start developing it. And so... What I believe is important is broad range exposure. Um, and I think science is just kind of a, an approach to things. I think science is important uh, as like a, a method of thought. Um, but I think what's more important is um, just kind of like having, it's almost like an, it should be maybe not a university so much as um, a supplement to school. Like what's all the after school program? Like what's like the more supplemental stuff that's not getting done in the classroom? because. We have schools that really teach literacy and mathematics and other things well, but it's more like getting your hands dirty, doing stuff, um, and exposure to that. Okay. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, and then, so going back to the decathlon real quick. So one thing that, that's, that's always kind of bothered me that people don't pay attention to this, and I, I want to see your take on it. So bear with me here for a second. Technically speaking, by definition, the, <laughs> the winner of the decathlon um, whether it's at an Olympics or World Championships, is by definition the greatest athlete in the world. So by definition, then, if you break a world record, you would be the greatest athlete of all time. Now, when you look at stuff like the ESPYs or stuff like that, and they have like the athletes of the year, even in Olympic years, they kind of like don't really pay attention to track and field, and especially the decathlon. And when people have these debates on the greatest athlete of all time, they never really talk about the one that's, by definition, the greatest athlete of all. <laughs> Does that ever bother you at all? Um, the conversation bothers me, but not from the standpoint that I think I should be, or any decathlete or heptathlete should be the greatest. The conversation bothers me because um, sport is so specific that it's 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 almost impossible in the current structure to you know for sure 
-hmm. And so the only way to do it would be to have like all the athletes participate in all the other sports and just see who's the best overall in all the sports. Mm -hmm. So the conversation just always bothers me because LeBron is a great basketball player and to, to postulate how good he'd be at the decathlon is like ridiculous. And so, um, I think what matters from this standpoint about who is the best is, so I think the decathlon is good because it, it, I believe it's like the SAT. Mm-hmm. It's a standardized test for athletics because you run, jump, and throw. Um, it does test kind of your endurance and your mentality over two days. So there's nothing like it from that standpoint. So I believe it does show who good athletes are based on kind of like a standardized test. But who's the best athlete in the world or of all time? It's so hard to answer. I believe you would need a competition because I, I believe what matters is rate and range. Um, so if you took a hundred athletes and you put them together doing the same thing, I think the best would be who would learn new things at the f- fastest rate and who could take them the furthest okay. as, as far as like, um, skill level and, uh, accomplishment. So there's no sport or event that does that right now. Tests is tests the rate and range of um, someone's ability equally across all sports. Okay. I'm see- I'm seeing a new sport coming up. I'm, I'm, I think, I'm seeing- well, so, so I think this, it would be a survivor esque type of competition <laughs> where literally there would be, let's call it 10, just for the sake of it, 10 mm-hmm. new types of movements or challenges that people would have to do. And you would get all kinds of athletes, like let's call it a hundred and just imagine like an obstacle course or something where mm-hmm. they had to do it. And what you do is you start the gun, people would go, they'd have to do these new things that nobody's ever really done before. And the, basically the person who would, oh, and they'd be advanced levels, like level one, two, three, four, five. Okay. And five being like the most advanced you could do. And basically it's like, how far do you get and how quickly? So if somebody went from levels one to five, super fast, they would be the best athlete. Okay, I like that, I like what, that. Some people may go levels one to three faster than anybody else but they may be stuck at level three because that's like as far as their ability could take them. Mm-hmm. Somebody may go level one to five, super, super slow, but at least they made it to five. Mm-hmm. So that to me is like the rate and range at which you can learn a new athletic skill or do an athletic skill. It was what matters. That sounds really cool. I, I feel like if nothing else, that should be pitched to like to some, to some television network. It's, it's almost like a American Ninja Warrior esque. Exactly. Like, yeah. I like yeah. that. I like yeah. that a lot. And then, so Lastly, um, when in the first season, all the former Oregon track and field athletes I had on, I asked them about what it'll be like to return to Hayward Field uh, with the, with the new Hayward Field and stuff like that. Now, as far as I know, you will not be returning to compete. No. <laughs> um, but when you do go back, what or even before when before thinking about going back, but when you found out it was being torn down, like that track might mean more to you than a majority of other people for the sole reason not only that you competed there for so long but that was that was a spot where you broke the world record like what were your emotions like when you found out that the renovation was happening yeah i mean not to mention i i grew up in oregon so my state track meet was always held at hayward field um so i've been going that track since like 2005 i believe but i i thought you know from the structural perspective it was a shame because it was a symbol um, to tear it down. But I actually believe that um, Hayward's magic is more in 
kind of the the atmosphere of the crowd and the athletes and just the um the essence of like eugene and, and kind of what it stands for it's not necessarily in the structure and so i wasn't disappointed um when it got torn down uh, i actually think it's important that for future you know just to keep developing de- excuse me developing in the future and uh, kind of making things better and so um i think it was actually good what are you what do you what do you expect when you go back so i've actually seen the stadium it was just a skeleton um mm-hmm. so it hasn't been, hadn't been completed but i'm expecting people to be insanely inspired and excited both from the fan side and the athlete side um it's it looks out of place and i think that's a good thing <laughs> um you know some of the times i've been inspired the most is when something is like so grand or so out of place you're just like how is this even here <laughs> you know and so uh the the new hayward field is definitely that awesome awesome well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it uh tell brie and ander hello for me and Absolutely. i hope i hope you uh get some sleep all right yeah i appreciate it tj thanks for awesome. having me on Of course. And thank you for everyone for watching. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, If you haven't subscribed, be sure to subscribe uh, so you don't miss any future episodes. And all of season one is still up. So be sure to take a listen. And don't forget, every athlete has a story. You just have to listen. I'll see you next time. This has been Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brassel. Join me again next week as the world record holder in the women's 100 meter hurdles, Kenny Harrison, joins the show.